and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Key podcast where we have something a little bit different for you today. We thought it would be a little bit curious um, for me to be the interviewee and um, for, for us to just talk a little bit more about curiosity and why it's important and how you can use it. So my good friend Kennedy has kindly offered to be the interviewer for this episode. Uh, so welcome Kennedy, thank you for interviewing me. <laughs> Thanks for asking me to interview you. This is going to be very uh, reverse. It's going to be fun. I know, because you were a guest on my podcast, so I need to really, really try hard not to revert back into interviewing mode, uh, which is <laughs> which is always uh, difficult. So for anybody listening to this that hasn't heard the episode with Kennedy, Kennedy was on talking about email marketing and about segmentation, all of the fun stuff. Highly recommend that you check it out. Um, so do you want to just tell us a little bit about you and... Uh, why you agreed to do this? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I thought, do you know what it is? You, you, you have this entire brilliant show around curiosity, which leads us all to wanting to understand, to being curious about who you are, why, why curiosity is, is your bag, why that's your angle. And so when we were talking at the weekend, we, it was, I thought, well, why don't we find out more about you? Because I think one of the problems with interview shows, like, you know, we have an interview show, you have an interview show, is we often don't get to understand a lot about the interviewer. So can we start then by telling me why, tell you, sharing with us, why you got interested in curiosity? Um, there's a couple of reasons. The first reason was that I am a little bit obsessed with Alice in Wonderland, um, which was quite interesting because I was chatting to a client of mine, actually, and I was sharing some of my new branding, which I've not quite uh, launched to the world yet. Some people may have seen it or picked up on it, um, but it focuses around the key. And she said, oh, it's, it's, it's really interesting that your, your key reminds me a lot about Alice in Wonderland. And I was just like, oh, it's really uh, good that you think that because it's, it's very much inspired by Alice in Wonderland. Um, now I was a really curious child and I was actually the child that was at school being told off for asking too many questions. Mm. I went to a very traditional school that it was like kind of sit down and you will learn what we teach you and you will listen to what it is that we say. And I'm a little bit of a rebel at heart. So if somebody tells me to sit there, be quiet and do something, I'm a bit like, oh, like, um, what trouble could I cause here? But not intentionally. I was just genuinely interested to know the reason why we were being taught these things. Like, how are we going to use these in, in real world? How can we apply these things? What can we do with this information? Or are we just wasting our time sitting mm. here being taught these things? Um, so mm. I kind of, um, I, I had parents that were really good. So they always encouraged me to be more curious. They were the people that went to school and stuck up for me and just said, that's how she is. That's how she learned. You should encourage it, not, not try and squash it. So I think throughout my career, all of the great things that has happened to me and the really cool opportunities that I've, I've had and been able to do have come from me just saying, that doesn't work. Can I try and find a a solution to it or I wonder what happens if I do that so I think it's I see too many people limit themselves by being not curious enough if that's mm. the right way of putting it and I just think that I've always been curious it's a big part of my life but why not focus more on that mm, curiouser and curiouser as, uh, as somebody once said okay so the, the, obviously the opposite of curiosity is just sort of accepting the norm and that's kind of where I think businesses 
tend to sort of get stuck in that accepted norm, isn't it? So you, you've had a bit of a, a, quite a broad ranging career where you've worked in lots of different types of businesses. I think some of your listeners might not even understand that amazing career you've had. Just give us like the cliff notes of what, where you've actually applied this curiosity. Cliff notes. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so you're going to have to cut me short if I tend to waffle because it, um, sometimes it's a bit difficult. So I studied engineering at university, electrical, electronic engineering, and then changed to computer science and maths. And I didn't really want to go to university, but because of the the school and I was a little bit troubled at the time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of followed the path that everybody thinks that you should do. So that's what I did. And when I got there, I was a bit like, mm, you know what, I'm actually learning more about engineering working for the entertainment uh, section of the students' union by doing the sound and the lighting for the gigs and the events and things like that. And I was just like, I really don't feel like I'm spending my time in the best possible way, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do or, or where to go. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I left uni. I did the first two years, completed my exams, passed my exams, and just thought, you know what, this is a good time for me to leave. I'll figure something out. So I got a job working in customer service for a year, uh, like I enjoyed that. I think I'm, I'm always quite good at finding a way to enjoy something that I'm doing. And I, then I was like, oh, this, I still don't know what I want to do and I don't want to do this permanently. So my parents had just bought a house in Sardinia, which needed a lot of work doing to it. So I moved out there with the view that I would help my dad renovate the house and then go travel and find myself. You know, one of those things that all, you know, 19-year-olds say. Um, and yeah, so when I got there, it's really weird. Sardinia is an island that has a certain type of energy about it. And I think for the first time in my life, I felt quite grounded. And it was really weird. So I wanted to meet some people. So I joined the rowing club. Nobody spoke English, but I understood what they told me, which was you are too fat and too unfit to get in a boat, to even fit in a boat. <laughs> and I think it, it was at that moment that I thought, you know what, Charlie, it's, it's time to it's time to sort yourself out. You know, you, you need to stop drinking. You drink too much for, for your age. Um, and it was more, it wasn't just, you know, just your average teenager drinking. It was just, you know, I, I was probably drinking for the wrong reasons. And it was a good place for me to sort of make some friends, learn the language and try sports because go-kart racing, even though it was fun, I didn't really take very seriously and I didn't really do anything else either. So I got, I got completely obsessed with sports. I, uh, I lost some weight. I got a bit of fit and I managed to fit in a boat. And then I started, uh, you know, finding out what else I could do with that. And that was really fun. And um, as part of the house that my dad bought, they had a, an olive grove. So there was 160 trees in the olive grove. And again, it's that curiosity. So I was just like, oh, well, how do you make olive oil? How does all of that work? Um, so I just got completely stuck into the whole process of like what it takes to grow good olives. Then what do you do with the olives once you have them and et cetera, et cetera. So there was born my first business, which was um, I used to sell Sardinian olive oil, which me and my dad made. Um, and then I started buying in other Sardinian produce, which was just delicious. Um, and I used to drive it over to the UK because that was the cheapest way of getting it over and selling it on market stalls around Yorkshire and London. Uh, then I partnered up with somebody else to get it into delis and, and restaurants and things. And it was kind of the, the best way that I, I, I describe it is if you can imagine an engineering student at a market stall in Yorkshire trying to sell olive oil, artisan olive oil off the back of how exciting the growing, pressing, and bottling process was. 
Yeah, that was me. I really didn't get marketing. I really didn't get branding. Um, but I was just like, right, okay, so I need to sell this. What can I do to sell it? So I started listening to how people were describing the oil, started listening to the questions that they were asking. You know, it's just like, how would it taste if I paired it up with this? How would it taste on this? What's the difference if I cook with it or heat it up? You know, things like that. And so I started using that in the marketing. And then I thought, you know what, this is really good oil. And it's not just me that thinks that. So I entered it into an award and it got a gold star. and then it got another gold star and the Great Taste Awards, so two years running. Um, so I think I kind of got into marketing completely by accident. Mm. Um, and then obviously I was like 20 at the time. So I was living in Sardinia. It was very, very rural. I'd got really into sports. It, everything seemed new to me. So I, um, I came back to the UK and I thought, right, I can still do this on the side and I can get a job and like kind of just develop my skills and really that was never going to be a long-term thing for me. But again, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought, right, I'll just explore my options. Because to be honest, at that point, all I wanted to do was row and compete and try and win medals because I think my ego got ahead of me. I was just like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a lot faster than all the boys in the rowing club in Sardinia. So then obviously I'll be really good at this if I go back to the UK. Not the case at all. <laughs> um, but it, it was good fun. So I joined a temping agency and I got a really great job working for Sport England. And again, it was just, I think part of it is luck. And I think part of it is being in the right place in the right time. So I spent a while working in Sport England and then I applied for a promotion to work in their regional grants team, looking at innovation projects. So that was kind of my first real sort of insight into innovation. Um, And then that job got made redundant So I went back to the temping agency and I just sort of said, look, this is what I'm interested in. Do you have anything? And they just said, well, actually, yes, we do. So the NHS had a role working on their regional innovation fund. So I spent a year doing that. That role was also due to be made redundant. However, going to various different events and getting involved in launching these projects and helping them become successful, I started really developing my network and and becoming known for that sort of slightly nutty person that's willing to ask questions and put themselves out there a little bit more. So one of the project managers for the project, she then offered me a job. She basically said, go and talk to my husband. I really think that you should go and work with him and help him with his marketing. And I remember thinking at the time, like, well, I'm not a marketer or a marketeer, as a lot of people call call us now. And, um, that company sold laser scanning equipment. And at the time, I remember thinking that laser scanners, you know, were those things in clubs where you get the mist. <laughs> um, and I, I was like, oh, that, that's what a laser is. So they're like, no, we sell them to people that, that need to measure roads and highways and mines and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. Uh, anyway, so I got the job and I was there for six years. And it, like I said, it's that curiosity. And I remember sitting around dinner in South Africa with my boss and uh, the people from the South African office. And we were just chatting about uh, the event that we'd just been to and what was going on in the business and everything. And we'd just taken on a new salesperson who was due to do a demo a few days later with a laser scanner down the world's deepest mine. And she didn't like the idea of going underground. And I think I'd had a few glasses of wine and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. That sounds so exciting. Why are you complaining? Or like, why don't you want to go there? I'd love to do that. And the next day, my boss just said, were you being serious when you said that? I was like, yeah, of course I was. Uh, So he just said, change your flight, go down the mine with her. 
So I had this incredible opportunity to go and demonstrate this laser scanner. And I think, again, I'd developed what I what I call an accidental personal brand because I, I got into this industry knowing nothing about the products or the technology that I was selling, knowing nothing about the industry. But because I was going to all of these different events, I was able to listen to the questions that people kept asking over and over and over again. <laughs> and I was like, why is nobody answering these in the marketing, on blogs and in content? So again, it was just, I just started doing stuff and it stuck and I started to become known within that space. Um, and then I, I decided to change and I went to work in the shipping industry um, and I just applied the same methodologies. And again, it works. Um, and LinkedIn had always been a consistent for that. So, um, and then I spent a year doing that and I just thought, you know what, I'm pretty sure I can have a bigger impact and create a bigger difference if I did this myself and work with more companies so I uh, just, <laughs> my partner, I think he remembers this fondly because I rang him up and I was like, I'm quitting. I'm not staying in this job. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to. And he was like, well, maybe think about it. <laughs> so I think I, uh, I went into my boss's office that, uh, that afternoon and I said, look, I, you know, I want to do something, something different. And I remember, remember him saying like, well, what, what do you want to do? Because he was, he was very supportive and he was very, uh, very good. And, uh, and I said, I don't know. But I, I'm not going to know if I stay here. I need to figure it out. I need to be. I need to throw myself in the deep end. So that's what I did, and that was three years ago. So here we are today. Wow, it's Cliff's I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's. Do you know what though? It's you are totally, <laughs> you are totally going down the rabbit hole. You, literally, you are. You, you're saying right. I need. I need to go and discover this thing. I need to go down the rabbit hole of that. And now I need to go down a literal hole in the ground to see if I, to see what that's like. And literally from engineering to innovation with Sport England and the NHS through to Olives and how does all that work? All you've ever done is an ask the questions and ask the questions that customers are going to ask. That's really, really interesting. So spinning that round into how that affects other businesses and, and the kind of clients that you work with and obviously your listeners of this show, how... How, how and why, I guess, is being curious for anybody who it's not natural or anybody who's just like, I'm sort of getting that now. Why is being curious actually important for our regular everyday to day business? I think, well, in, in business, I think if you, if you just carry on doing the same thing that you've always done, you're going to stagnate at some point. So the more curious you can be within your business, both internally and also externally the more you can keep fresh you can keep up to date you keep on top of what your clients want what they need what their problems are their pain points their challenges you keep um you know in touch with what your employees and your staff and your team want and need um and also I think it makes things a little bit more exciting you know if the thing that I keep talking about a lot at the moment is the more excited you are about what you do as a business and also the more excited you can get everybody else within that business to be about what it is that they're doing the mission that they're working towards the vision that's in front of them that will distill through the marketing that will distill through the customer service that will come out in the brand and it's that a lot of the things that I say is like in marketing everybody talks about awareness or visibility which yes it's important but you need to be more than just visible in your market you need to be more than just in front of them you need to make them curious and then once they're curious you then need to make them excited 
or you need to make them more curious. So they come to you and ask you questions. Um, it kind of reminds me of um, the classic marketing formula of AIDA, the attention, interest, desire, action. You know, you've got get, getting, them, getting them sort of interested and curious first to get their attention. And then to get that interest and desire, it's, it's, it's that excitement bit, isn't it? I, th- I think so. I mean, especially having worked in the industries that I've worked, is that I think people do the bare minimum of marketing that they think they have to, or they follow the AIDA method, or they follow a another method that they've been taught. And it is that you follow a method and you try to pigeonhole your business into that method. Um, I think the way that I look at things is more that... It, if you don't follow a method, because there is no one size fits all approach to marketing, in my view, if you instead follow a framework that you can ask yourself questions and understand how your business, how your customers, how your products and your solutions fit into that framework, then it helps you be able to do a little bit more. Um, and I think like with that desire, yes, you do need to have that attention, the, you know, the, was it awareness, attention, intrigue, desire, <laughs> I've completely invented something new now. Um, You've got a brand new one. It's it's much better than the old one. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, it, yeah, in the engineering space, especially and in technology, a lot of businesses focus too much about what's in the box. They focus too much about the technology and everything that's gone into making that technology because you're so... F- far in it and I I suppose it's the same when you've invented something yourself or you're developing your own services Uh, because I know that this is something I've personally struggled with like selling something you've created is a completely different ballgame to selling something somebody else has created um and I think again if the more curious you can be not about what's gone into the product or service but instead what your customers are going to get out of that product and service the better and more interesting your marketing is going to be. And you will naturally stand out from everybody else in the space. I mean, like events has been a huge part of my working life. I mean, right from the age of, I think five, I remember because my dad had a car dealership. So I used to be a Ford dealer, used to have a service department, a petrol station. And I remember um, him roping in like my mum and me and my brother because it was like the launch of the the Ford Fiesta back then. And it was like, literally, we were like handing out homemade mince pies to everybody that had come for this launch. And, you know, we were talking to everybody and it was all very, very relationship driven, which is another thing that I am a huge advocate for. And the amount of events that you go to and everybody is talking about themselves in the exact same way. And they're assuming that their market knows what it is that they actually do. Mm. And I think it's like something that you said uh, when when we spoke, which is that in email marketing, the only person that reads 100% of your emails is you. And it's true. Like when you're marketing your business, the only person that sees all of your marketing material is you. Um, And I think there's a lot of assumptions made. I mean, there was one event that I went to quite a few years ago in London and there were all of these software companies that looked pretty much identical. And it was only until you actually went into the booth and talked to the person that was on the booth about what the software could actually do. You got a, a live demonstration or you, you know, you started exploring what was going on mm-hmm. that you were actually excited about what's going on, but you had to actually go into the booth and talk to somebody about it. And especially in an engineering space, I mean, to be fair, it's not just engineering, you know, every space if you've got an introverted marketplace, if you've got an introverted audience, they need to know 
where to prioritize their efforts because trade shows are exhausting. So you don't want to be speaking to absolutely everybody throughout the whole day over a two or three or four or longer period. You need to really make it clear why why somebody should be curious about you and what it is that you're doing. So I think it's that be more curious about the market in which you're serving be more curious about how you're making an impact on their lives, on their business, on their team, mm-hmm. and put that into your marketing. And you're just going to make your life so much easier. Right, right. It's interesting. It's it's almost like you've got to find what they call in marketing your unique mechanism. Like you've got to you've got to share with people this is the unique thing. And sometimes I think I think you. I mean, what do you think about this actually? When when you are sort of looking at the marketing for something and you're being curious about the the product itself. There are sometimes unique things that people are not talking about that you can pull from how it was made that allows you to tell that bit of the story in the marketing. So it, do you feel like that's an okay thing to do? Like it, you can do that, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's that that magic two words, which is so that. So if you're going to talk about something that's in the box or that's in the product or in the service, and you just talk about it as like, oh, like this is really exciting. But if you just end it with so that it does X, Y, and Z, then you're giving it so much more context and power and relatability. Mm. And I think like relevance is such a huge thing, you know, is that the more relevant your mar- your marketing is towards your target market, not just your target market. So for example, like I made the massive mistake when I first got into the game, I remember working with a consultant and they came in and they're like, right, who are you targeting? And we were like, well, we're targeting surveying firms all around the world. Um, it doesn't mean like surveying is such a huge industry or rather the geospatial industry is, is so huge, but also you've got things like mining, you've got highways surveying, rail surveying, you know, marine surveying, you've got coastal surveying, you heritage, archaeology, you know, the list goes on. There's, there's a huge amount of, mar- of um, verticals within that market. So if you're a small company with a small budget, then that's going to cost you a fortune, both in time and money, to actually get in front of all of those people. Whereas if you say, right, okay, well, I'm just going to target uh, mining, but specifically for slope stability monitoring, get a bit geeky here, your marketing can be completely tailored to that audience. So you can understand what language they're talking in. You can understand what imagery they relate the most to. You can understand what their specific challenges and pain points are because their challenges and pain points are going to be very different to somebody that's um, mapping roads and rail. And even roads and rail, they're two completely different things. People have different challenges. So the more specific you can be in your marketing, the more you're going to stand out and also the more people are actually going to go, oh, that's interesting or that's curious. I want to know more about that. Tell me. So you, yeah, in one way, you're, you it, want to lead people down. <sighs> sounds really dodgy now. You want to lead people down your rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, and I think until they realise it's relevant to them, if you've got a picture of the surveying equipment, it's going down this big mine, somebody who has a, an amazing archaeological site might get the link. They might go, okay, I sort of get it. But somebody who's in the highways agency is never going to put those two things together. So it's about moving it across, like you said, across all those different verticals. I think that's really, really interesting. So... We're going to put the, I'm really interested in when you're, when you face one of these things, there are obviously some Wyman questions, which you always ask because you, you find out all this really interesting stuff that other people haven't dug through. So what's the tip when you're faced with a new product, you work with a new client or someone's in one of your brilliant programs, what are the kind of questions you're asking in order 
to to vent that curiosity, for want of a better word? Well, a lot of times it's just kind of reverting back to the standard open question headings, like, you know, what, when, how, why, and who. Um, and I keep asking, like, so what? Why is this important? Um, not just why is this important to you, but why is it important to your client? And I think as well, it's that framing, because I could ask you, why is that important? You could tell me why that's important to you. Um, and I've noticed this because... Um, there's such a huge disparity in the market between marketers and marketing consultants and marketing trainers and people like that. And, you know, it's like with, um, you know, I do a lot of LinkedIn training, like specifically on LinkedIn and LinkedIn coaching. And I remember losing a client, well, losing a prospect. And they said, oh, are you too expensive? Um, I've got this virtual assistant that's charging 50 pounds an hour or whatever to do some coaching. So I was like, right, okay, well, you, you know, you go work with them. Because LinkedIn, at the end of the day, it is just a tool. You need to know how to leverage that tool in order to get the most out of it. But unless you know what your foundations are, unless you know who you're targeting, unless you know what makes them tick, unless you know how you can stand out over and above your competition and why they should choose you instead of somebody else, unless you know you know, those sort of unique points of difference. And part of it is like, what makes you different? Because sometimes it's the story of the business. Sometimes it's the story of some of the key members of staff or the key customer facing members of staff. It's their story. And it's, you know, storytelling is such an important part of marketing. More often than not, it's just a case of you've just got to ask the right questions to kind of like draw that out of them. And also celebrate the brilliance of the people that are involved in bringing that to market, involved in making it. Um, and I know that, like, in my experience, I've worked with some absolutely brilliant people. Um, it was a bit of a shock to me when I first started working for myself, when I was just like, oh, I can't hide behind anybody now for, like, webinars and videos and things like that as well. It has to be me. And I'm like, oh, no, because I was always surrounded by people that were, it, well, in my mind, they were uh, more intelligent than me. They were more knowledgeable. Uh, they were more senior. Um, and I think sometimes that doesn't make a difference, but it's what matters most to the client base. You know, if you're talking to a senior, you know, um, a geotechnical engineer, for example, they're going to find an engineer, qualified engineer, more credible than a marketing person or a salesperson. So sometimes it's about connecting the right people together and giving a voice to the people that will really make a difference. That makes me really think about the importance of, of some level of, I'm going to call it ignorance. If you can go in there and ask those questions that everybody else sort of assumes the answers to, because you're able to go in there as a marketing person and go, yeah, but why do you do that? And what does that mean? Like it's the, which means that, or so that question that you, that you mentioned really earlier on. And it's interesting how you talk about the, the importance of story and find the stories of the, the journey of the product or the founders, because that's obviously a skill you learned from the story of the olives and how they were grown. <laughs> and initially you thought this is not working, but it's important to, to connect the story with which means that and the right who, the right, the right person, of course, and segment that messaging. If you're just talking about, oh, they're beautiful and they're, bought, they're, they're grown in Sardinia and this person from Manchester doesn't give a stuff about that, then you just got to be a bit aware of the marketplace there. So how do you actually action this kind of curiosity? If we're now listening to this thinking, okay, I understand more about Charlie and why, why this is all about curiosity. How do I apply that in my business? Uh, so the first thing is like actually giving yourself time 
and allocating time to be curious, to ask these questions. And if you can't ask the questions within uh, your team or within the business, then get somebody else involved. And I'm not saying this is a sales pitch. It has to be me. It doesn't have to be me at all. It could just be somebody that's not involved directly in the business. Um, I always think it's really funny because my other half is um, is also an engineer. And um, like, I mean, we've been together like nearly 11 years now. And last year he started asking me these questions. And I was like, hang on a minute. Like what? It's just like, see, you thought I don't listen to you. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh yeah. But it is, it's, it's really difficult to shine a mirror on ourselves. And it's really difficult to look inwards because we are so deep into the things that we're doing um so getting external perspective getting somebody to ask us these questions it's a bit like what we're doing now it's like if you'd ask me to record a podcast to tell my story and to do all of these things I'd be like oh you know I'd probably get in it it would be completely different whereas if you start asking me certain questions or like in a certain order um then it flows in a different way and you can extract different things from it um, so in terms of companies being able to action it, it's like just having that space within the company to talk. Um, one of the biggest failings of sales and marketing teams, though, I mean, this is probably larger companies, not so much the smaller companies, is that sales and marketing don't talk to one another. Sales and marketing also don't talk to the customer service teams. And I'm saying this, like, you know, I used to work in a company, we started as a, as a team of 18 and then it grew to 42 people. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a massive, massive team, but anybody that's involved in anything customer facing needs to get together, ideally once a week, you know, minimum once a month. I cringe when I say this, but really once a week. Um, and just talk about what are the customers saying? You know, what are they feeling? What are they feeding back? What are they emailing us? You know, some of the, the biggest marketing gold is actually sitting in the outboxes of the sales team. But unless you actually give yourself that time to go in and have a look for this stuff, then it's just going to pile up and pile up and pile up. And then it will just get replaced by something else. Um, so yeah, I always say is that Michael Hyatt expression is like what gets scheduled gets done. Um, so allocate time to be curious and, um, yeah, just don't be afraid of going down those rabbit holes, but also making sure that you have the right people in your network to, to tell you before you go too deep into it. (laughs) That's an important one as well, because especially through innovation, you can get very carried away. Um, And I know that I have people closest to me that rein me in a little bit because I'm like, oh, that would be a great idea if I did this and then, 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 then. So yeah, have, have people close to you that can rein you in, but also just, you know, let, let yourself think, let yourself explore, let yourself be creative. I love that idea of this. Yeah. The space to do it. I think you know, it's like what we get taught in sales is, you know, just let them talk a lot, like give space to allow that process to happen. It's important. And it's something else we talked about the other day, actually, which was this idea of the, the, the feedback loop of the customer service, the sales and the marketing. Um, in, his, in his book, um, Predictable Revenue, Aaron Ross talks about how he transformed Salesforce as an organization by by bringing those people together to literally work next to one another. And that changed the entire environment. Amazing, amazing idea. We can't, have an interview and a chat with you, Charlie, without talking about this otter. <laughs> well, because it's behind me. Can you actually see otter or does it say retto? Yeah, think, yeah sure. we, can, we can see otter. Yeah, yeah. We, we can, can see, see otter. I think mm. it's, um, I realised this when I was recording some videos um, the other week uh, with my camera instead of my webcam and it goes back to front. So sometimes I'm just like, right, okay, because it says retto to me. <laughs> right. So if you hear me talking about otter or retto, then, then this is what it is. Um, so... 
the otter actually was a result of curiosity. So the backstory around the otter, or rather, let me start from the beginning. The otter is a framework. So I talk all about frameworks being able to help you understand how to do things because there is no one size fits all approach. Um, and the basically, I started working with a client who is a wonderful client, technology company with a, a simulation game. It's fantastic. And we were looking at what makes the company different. But we were just having a bit of a chat as a team to find out what they're up to, you know, what excites them. And for some reason, we ended up talking about the fact that the, the two, two key members of the team watch Otter documentaries and it makes them cry. And somehow this conversation that somehow every single session that we had they, they ended up talking about otters and um otters did were never in my world until that point and this was literally only a few months ago <laughs> um so uh, Nadine who's the, the business development manager she updated her LinkedIn profile because your LinkedIn profile is all about um generating curiosity and your headline is a really really good way of doing that so she updated her profile and she's like um mission control at games without frontiers we're fun but we cry at otters now it's one of those things that if you just read it you don't know nadine you don't know games without frontiers you've got no context around that you'd be like what on earth is she talking about that's a little bit weird anyway She's generated so many sales off the back of that, that one change to her profile and started lots of conversations with people. It, it adds a human element to it. Anyway, so that, that was Nadine and that was that story. I then entered a, a professional speaking competition with the PSA and uh, I was in the regional heats and I was completely stressed out and I was trying to tell this story around um, how... It, so I did the Everest Base Camp track a couple of years ago, and there was a woman on the track that really did not have a very good time at all, um, but pretty much because she didn't do any planning. And even though she got through the track, she didn't have fun. She complained all the time. She made life miserable for the people on the track and also for the people around her that had to listen to her story about how bad it was. And I was just like, you know what, actually, this is how a lot of businesses approach marketing. You know, they get through it. They keep their business going, but they don't enjoy marketing. They find it a miserable, frustrating, overwhelming thing. Um, and they kind of like, I think the more miserable they are with their marketing, the more that comes out in their own marketing anyway. So anyway, I was trying to tell this story and raise some key points around the process and walk through the process that I take clients with. And um, a good mutual friend of ours, Simon Raybold, um, he said to me, he said, Charlie, you are trying to cram way too much into a five minute talk. So simplify it four or five points. So I went back to the drawing board and all of a sudden the word otter was like shining out at me. And I was like, oh my God, it's an otter. So again, curious, it's, it's all about being curious, asking yourself those questions and things like that. So, um, and then I think I got a bit carried away. <laughs> so I won, I won the regional uh, speaking competition and got some great feedback on it. And um, I was, you know, I'd, I'd been working with this process with my clients I just didn't really have a name for it so all of a sudden the otter shined through and I think the way sometimes having a name for a process or a framework uh, will really help people understand it so what what does otter stand for I hear you all say um so the o stands for objectives because you, you need to know where to focus your time your energy and your budget and also you need to know what to prioritize. So you need some objectives. 
And they need to be smart objectives as well. So, you know, they need to be strategic, measurable, achievable, time relevant and relevant and time sensitive. And then the first T stands for tools, because um, I think something uh, something Daniel Priestley said on one of my previous podcasts and something that I say all the time is that you're actually sitting on a mountain of value already. So many companies just want new, bigger, better, all of these things and don't leverage the things and the tools and the resources and the assets that they have available. So T stands for tools so you can understand what you can leverage and optimize. The other T stands for training because if you have a goal that you're working towards, you may have gaps in your knowledge, your experience, or just might need a bit of help. So understand where the gaps are. So in the context of going to Everest, you might think, right, okay, I just need to walk a lot. But if you're walking for 12 days up and downhill, you're going to like, you're going to bring up lots of previous injuries unless you're doing like a certain amount of rehab or, you know, training like that. So it's just like kind of framing it in the context of what you're working towards. So training is an important part of that. Um, And then E stands for expectations. So you're not disappointed. And also, so you know what to celebrate too. Um, there's nothing worse. You know, so many businesses like go like a whole year and then to be like, right, okay, well, what have I got to celebrate? It's like, actually, you've achieved a lot. You just haven't, you know, look, you haven't set your expectations, but also look at what's in your control and what's out of your control, because th- there's no point in getting worked up about something that you haven't achieved if it's completely outside of your control. Um, and then the R, last but certainly not least, the R stands for reflect and review. And I always recommend that people do this in 12 weeks, every 12 weeks. And that's why I work with my clients on a 12-week basis, because it's just a nice period of time. You know, like if you don't work in 12-week chunks and you look past the last year, it's shot by, you know, shot by so fast. So if you look at every 12 weeks, you can set yourself a, a measurable amount of time and then you know what you need to start doing, stop doing, continue doing and optimize as well. And it's that kind of like, if you rinse and repeat the otter every single quarter or every 12 week period, then you can achieve loads, loads more than you probably would do if, in, if you were just planning in a year. So yeah, wow. that's the otter. <laughs> that's what the otter is and that's where it came from. It's been really interesting to kind of go down the, the rabbit hole into Charlie in Wonderland and basically hear <laughs> how it all sort of fits together. Um, this has been really, really interesting. Oh, thank you. And thank you for asking me all these. Thank you for asking me the questions because I think it's one of those that, um, and for anybody listening, if you will have any feedback around what you want to hear, um, if there's any particular guest that you'd be like, I'd really like to know their story. I'd like to know how they came up with the idea for this or like how they brought it to market or anything like that, then let me know. Even if you don't have that connection, I'll find them. <laughs> um, so it's always good to know what people want, what people don't want. But I think um, I, lo- I loved your suggestion of, of doing this because, um, yeah, like you said, I think people listen to the podcast and go right okay well what what do you actually do um and why is curiosity so important not just to me but for for everybody really for all of us it is for sure this has been awesome yeah thank you so much so um yeah for anybody listening um if you want to catch the show notes which i i will get my poor virtual assistant to summarize for you um they are on my website that's charliewyman.com forward slash podcast so i am charlie wyman i've been kennedy (laughs) You've been Kennedy. (laughs) Set you up to fail on that one. And uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. 
When marketing isn't your primary focus or area of expertise, it can quickly become very overwhelming, frustrating, and end up at the top of your I'm avoiding this list. If you'd like to make your life easier and get results from your marketing, then I invite you to come and join us in the Curious Marketing Club, a virtual community full of support, guidance, and know-how. For details about the club and for the show notes from this episode, please visit my website, charliewyman.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn from other people who are being curious and doing amazing things, then please subscribe and keep listening. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.